Oh, wasn't that some good singing, huh? That was fantastic. Man, thank the Lord for that. That was great stuff. Thank you for um, being a big part of that and worshiping with us. Hey, um, welcome. Welcome to you who are here this morning. Welcome to you who are online this morning. It is great to have you all. Um, we want to just mention a couple things as we get started. Number one, my makeup crew is going to put some chapstick on me, if that's all right. Uh, yeah, my hair and makeup crew is really intensive here for our online ministry. Hey, let's do our uh, connection cards for a moment. Can we do that? Um, go ahead and um, pull those out if you're in the, in the seat in front of you there. They're, they're tucked in right there. And then if you're online, they're also um, just a click away if you would look for your link there for your connection card. Let's just fill those out. We do this week after week, but it's significant. I just want you to know that this is not a small thing. We really do connect with those. It's helpful for us to be able to stay in tune with you and to understand what's going on. And, um, and if you have any prayer items, so please... Uh, do fill those out. If there's something that we should be of note, please put those down. And then if you're online, obviously click submit, and then that comes into our church office. Or if you're here in-house, if you would, um, just put them together and put them in our giving boxes as you leave. Of note also today is our communion Sunday. So if you, if you have not yet already done so, we have our communion cups that are in the foyer and will be partaking at the end of our service together. So if you didn't grab these on your way in, um, if you wanted to, just you're allowed just to get right up and go on back and grab one of those. If you're at home, why don't you go ahead and, and get together um, some items for your communion at home. So that way you can partake with us at the end of our service together. So do note that. Here's a few different things quickly as you're doing your connection card. Number one, Emmanuel's child, you purchase a star in our foyer or through our church office. These star purchases uh, give monies directly to our missionaries overseas so that way they can buy Christmas gifts for kids. It's a tremendous outreach tool. That's number one. Deck the dresser. We were hoping to have the dressers here. They called us during the week and said they'll be delivered this Wednesday. So dressers will be in-house for next Sunday. Magic markers, or as I've learned, I'm not supposed to say the word magic in church. So they are now miracle markers. <clears throat> we'll be here next week for you to sign those dressers and put special notes of love and care for those single moms that we're trying to reach through our pregnancy care center. Our 21-day Christmas devotional started this past Friday online. We have 94 people on our Christmas devotional online, and it is really neat to see the comments and discussion going on by people who are going through that. It is not too late to jump in. If you're not in on that, you can see the link on Facebook or Instagram. You go ahead, click, uh, click on that link. Get right involved with us. Um, it's not too late. Come on in. An email went out regarding constitutional revisions, and uh, we will be having a special meeting on December 27th, and those extra revisions are um, going to be at the hub following the services. So please um, 
connect with those, understand what's going on. They're very minor revisions that just help us to be able to serve and operate a little bit um, easier. Can we just praise the Lord together on something here? This year, we have broken a record for caring for people in our church and community through our Helping Hand Fund. Yeah. And you know, through this little offering, we normally take up about three to $500 every month after our communion Sunday. So today, there'll be another box out there for our Helping Hand Fund. We normally take up about three to $500 a month in this. This year, folks, we've been able to distribute to people in our church and community that have needs to date $33,500. Isn't that phenomenal? That's something to celebrate and say thank the Lord about. So, And we're not done yet for this year. So praise the Lord for that, and, um, and let's keep on going. Let's keep on going and help people that genuinely have needs. Okay. Grab your copy of the scriptures and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We are in our little series called Expectations or Exceeding Your Reality. And today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's, it's um, a neat opportunity for us to see, you know, what, what did people expect of Jesus? What did people expect of the Messiah? What were they hoping for when he came? And then what did they really get that ultimately exceeded all of their reality? And today we deal with a verse, a very powerful verse, that shows he was rich. And here's the verse for 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses, uh, verse 9. And this is what it is, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Paul just comes right out and says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what it is. Though he was rich, and oh boy, was he ever. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you through his poverty might become rich. You know, people expected back in that day when this ruler would come, when this Messiah would come, you would be a part of the ruling class. The ruling class was rich. The ruling class had money and capital to work with. They were a part of a privileged pedigree, and they had everything at their disposal. This ruling class, he was to be rich. And so the text shows us right off the bat, Jesus was rich. Okay, he started out extremely rich. Now, I don't know what rich is to you. When you think, man, what would rich be? I remember one time, it was right around this time of year. I got together for a family Christmas, and I was with um, some family members, and some of the guys were chatting, and they were talking about their jobs and their finances. And one guy turned to me, and he said, boy, what do... Um, what do pastors make nowadays? This is a number of years ago. What do pastors make nowadays? And I, I figured, hey, I must be doing pretty well. You know, our bills are paid. We have a gazillion children. You know, so we must be doing really well. So um, 
I said, well, I, you know, here's what I make. And I told him, this is what I make a year. And I remember him looking at me and him saying, oh, that's, huh. Well, that's just a little bit less than my federal withholdings. I thought, wow, he must be rich. He must be rich. Here's the top richest people in the world. You ready for this? Jeff Bezos. And you know who he's with, right? Amazon. Seen a few of those smiley packages going around right now. He has $112 billion billion to his name. Bill Gates with Windows, $109 billion. Bernard Alnott, do you know who he is? Yeah, I didn't think so. Fashion designer, because I'm just looking at our clothing and I'm seeing, I don't think any of us know who he is today. <laughs> Sorry about that. We're all in the same boat together, amen? Okay, moving on. Uh, he is $98 billion dollars. Christian Dior, you probably have heard of Christian Dior. Okay, now we're, now we're together on that. $98 billion. Warren Buffett, now we're getting a name we may know, businessman, $85 billion. The Mars family, now the Mars family, you mean the candy bar? Yeah, the candy bar. They also, are you ready for this? They also make dog food. I don't know if that disturbs you or not, that they make candy bars and dog food. They have $80 billion. Mark Zuckerberg with Facebook, $74 billion. So just take the richest man in the world right now. Jeff Bezos, $112 billion. Now, can you even imagine how much that is? $112 billion. I'm just, I'm just here to help us grab this. How much is that? Well, let's just say you spent a million dollars a day, okay? A million dollars a day. I know you're saying I could do that for a day or two, maybe. That'd be really hard, wouldn't it? A million dollars a day every day of the week. And you're like, every day of the week, even on Sunday? Huh? What a tithe check that would be, Amen. Okay, a million dollars a day, seven days a week. How long would it take to spend $112 billion? It would take 316 years. And that's his wealth. And if you add up the six people we just mentioned, together they have about a half a trillion dollars to their collective names. And these top six individuals are just ones, look at this map, of hundreds of billionaires across our nation, across the pond, and across the world. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of billionaires. And we're thinking, 
wow, look at all of the riches and the wealth of our world. So here's the question we're going to walk into today. So how rich is Jesus? It says, though he was rich, how rich is Jesus? If there's all of this wealth across the world, all of the resources of the world, all of the money of the world, all of the world, how rich is Jesus? Well, I got a couple verses for you that just help us to quantify Jesus' portfolio financially. Psalm 24.1, check this out together. Would you say it with me? Here's Jesus' portfolio. Read it with me, would you? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So Jesus' portfolio, can we just sum this up together? Jeff Bezos, peanuts. <laughs> Nothing. Because he is in this world that God owns. The earth, he owns. Everything in it, he owns. Everyone on it, he owns. Just point to something, look at something, he owns it. Here's another one in Colossians 1.17 that give us an idea of the financial portfolio of God. It says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And here's the phrase that we grasp and we understand just what God owns. This is what has been created by Jesus. And then it says, all things have been created by him and, what does it say right there? For him. It's his. It's all his. There's nothing that's not his. So you ask, so how rich was Jesus? Okay, I don't know what these other people's homes are like. Jesus' home, is, his residence is heaven. I don't think there's any comparison, friends. Sitting at the right hand of God, which means he is in the utmost power and authority in heaven. He's a ruler over all. Everyone revered and worshipped him. Everything that exists was spoken into place by him. And he lays claim to the titles of both the heavens and the earth and everything in them. If you look up the titles of everything, his name is on it. God owns it. How rich is Jesus? There is nothing to even that compares. He owns it all. You with me on this one? He owns it all. And so you know the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know his grace. Like you know what he did for us that we didn't deserve, that though he was rich, and we just answered the question, he's rich. He's crazy rich. He owns it all. Though he was rich, he became poor. He became poor. Here's the one we struggle to identify. We know he's rich. How rich was he? Well, he just owns everything. 
Okay, but how poor did he become? That's the question for us today. How poor did Jesus become? Now, can I just walk us through, just for a moment, we need to understand there were different classes in Jesus' day. This is how they categorized people in, in the day of Jesus. Now, remember, there was Roman rule, and this is the way the strata was economically. So at the top class, there was the ruling class, and we talked about this there was this ruling class, and these individuals were people of a certain lineage or pedigree, and they walked into a position of rule. They were supported by taxes. They were supported by the finances of the residents of their city or region, and obviously the more in taxes they brought in, the greater the lifestyle of the ruling class. These were the people at the top of the mountain. They were at the peak. And then the next class Right beneath them was the wealthy class. The wealthy class in the Roman Empire, these were typically people who lived off a second-level business. So just think about this. They would have probably had an agricultural business with its servants and all of its workers, and the servants and workers did their ag business, and then all of the monies that came from the agricultural business they had, and then they ran a second business, like a textile business or something else, and then they got the money even from that. So these people had multiple layers of income. Everything was working for them. And then there was an agricultural class. Now, this agricultural class, these were people that lived off the land. So they had a little chunk of land themselves. They had some cattle. They had some goats. You know, they had their cows, they did the milk, they did the meat, they did everything that they needed to do, and, and they could live off of that. They would go to the market, they would sell some things. This was, their, this was their currency that they dealt with. And so they had a sustainable living that would go on. And so now we're talking about this, we're saying, so what class was Jesus in? Well, I'm here to tell you he was not in... He was not in the ruling class, and he was not in the wealthy class, and folks, he was not in the agricultural class. There was another step below. And when we say, we know the grace of Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor, here's the question, how poor was he? And this is how he was in his day. This was the class in his day. He was in the lower class. There was a working class, and within the working class, there were a number of different layers. There were the peasants. Oftentimes, peasants would have a little piece of land that they would live on, but then they would go out and work and do their labor and then come back to their little piece of land, and maybe they have an animal or two that they work with, but that was their situation but that still wasn't Jesus. There was another step below that, and I'm here to share this with you because the next verses that we're going to look at, this illuminates the class that Jesus was in. And here in Mark chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, it's going to give us a word that we're familiar with, but in the Greek we're not. It says, when the Sabbath came, he, being Jesus, began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? 
the text says. Where's this, what's this wisdom that, that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? So you, you can see right away that they're mesmerized and amazed by him. But then, here's the question that they come out with. Oh, oh hold on. Isn't he, and here's the word we're familiar with, isn't he the carpenter? Okay. Now, I don't know where you've been in the Christmas story and where I've been. I've always thought Joseph, his dad, had a carpenter business. Like it was a family business. And he did all this big carpenter work and special stuff. And that's all he did was work with wood. And maybe he taught Jesus and he was going to turn the family business over to Jesus. That is not the word we are dealing with. The Greek word, which you'll forget probably before you get home, is tekton. Tekton. And, and a part of that word we have in architect. So obviously there was some building in some nature, but this was Jesus. Isn't he the tekton? And so now this is a put down isn't that Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Like, aren't his sisters here? We know these people. He's just a tecton. And then you see at the end, they took offense. Whoa, here's this tecton telling us what religion should be. This is the ideal that they were working through. What's he doing? What's he saying to us? He's got no right doing. He's just a tecton. And you're wondering, what in the world is a tecton? Here's what it is. It is, in general, a manual labor. Just That's all that they do. A jack of all trades. A tecton was at the lower end of the peasant class, more marginalized than a peasant who still owned some land because a tecton typically didn't own land. And you're saying, now how do we know that? How do we know Jesus was in that strata of this? Well, here's the deal. Remember um, last week we talked about the Caesar Augustus with the census and everyone had to leave their town that they were in and go to where they were born. And so Joseph and Mary, they were in... Nazareth, and then they went down to, if you're with me right now this morning, they went to Bethlehem, okay, wow, okay, we're, we're getting there. They went to Bethlehem, because that was the town where Joseph was born. What you remember, um, they were there almost two years. And you're thinking, well, why didn't they go back to Nazareth, where their land was, and where their cattle was, and where their home was? Because Joseph was a tecton. Because tectons typically, manual labor people, when they, they probably had land, they had cattle, they had all of these things, and all of the taxes in their day, let me know if this sounds familiar, if you take all of the taxes from Jewish expectations, all the taxes from Roman expectations, all of the land tax and all the agricultural tax, it added up to about 
35% taxes. Does that sound familiar? Some people couldn't pay it. And their land and their home was foreclosed on. And when they had no animals and no land and no crops to work for them, the only thing that could work for them was their body. And they went out and worked. They were just a part of a work crew. And they would work on stone. They would work on wood. They would develop and, and work on cisterns. They would, they would dig water canals. They would do whatever with their hands. The only thing that could work for them was their body. And so Joseph and Mary went from Nazareth, which was the poorest town in all of the area, and they couldn't even make it work there, and they went to Bethlehem. And then when Herod was going to kill the kids, they went from Bethlehem, and then they went down to Egypt. And you think, well, why didn't they just stay with their land and their home and their business in Bethlehem? And you want to know why? Because they didn't have one. Joseph was a tecton. He was a manual laborer. He truly lived hand to mouth, hand to mouth. That was Joseph's life. Let me just tell you a few other things that support this. When, when Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple, when he was eight days old and they made a sacrifice, Joseph and Mary, here's what their sacrifice was. The Bible says, two young pigeons. That was like the cheapest sacrifice anyone could ever give that was allowable by law. That's all that they could afford. Here you go. It's either two young pigeons or two young doves. That's all we can do. And that's what they gave. This was the life of a, of a manual laborer or of a tecton. And this is exactly what Jesus was. <clears throat> Jesus ended up in, in a number of situations connecting with all of the other people just like him, all of these other tectons, all of these other lower or working class people. And that's where so many of these crowds were. And so does it make sense when Jesus got together with these people and he said words like this? Think about it. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. When he said that, can you... You realize that this wasn't a professor pontificating what these things were, but he was one who was in that position and he was talking to a multitude of people that lived hand to mouth and hand to mouth in the most humble of situations. When he ended up giving out the Lord's Prayer, he connected with these people because he said words, would you say them with me? Give us this day our, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our. He's talking to people like this. It connected. Give us this day our daily bread. God, just now, just for today, give us something for now. And the people and the crowd and the disciples are like, that's me, man. That's me. And like, and forgive us our debts. Yeah. I lost it all. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Like, Jesus 
connected with these people. He was just like them. And I say, Pastor, are you sure? I know I'm right on this one because, you know, even when he died and rose again and Mary Magdalene was in the garden and she saw Jesus, now you know what our pictures are like. There's Jesus in this gorgeous white radiant robe with this you know, royal blue sash that goes across it. You know, you know what I'm talking about? It's just fantastic in how he, how he glides and how it looks. Well, you know what Mary looked at him and you know who she thought he was? The gardener. The worker in the garden who probably doesn't wear a white flowing robe with a royal blue sash, folks. He was a tecton. Jesus came to earth and he even said this to his disciples and to those around. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This is my life. I just gave up everything. I don't have, although I own it all, I don't have cattle that make money for me. I don't have crops that make money for me. I don't have land that makes money for me. I don't have equity in a home. I don't have anything else except this body that I took on when I came here. And this is all that I use to get by. So I'm here to tell you, you know the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And though he was rich, he became poor. Nothing. Zero. And many people can identify with this. Not everyone can identify with the professor itinerant Jesus. But the masses can identify with someone who came and who had little. That was Jesus. So what should we take heart from today? I'm going to give you three things, and then we're going to remember together and celebrate his poverty and his body at communion. So what do we take heart with today? So number one, I'm just going to lay it right out there, gang. Like it or not, here it comes. Number one, it's not about money. It's about mission. Let me give it to you. It's not about money. It's about mission. Jesus said these words, and I can't think of anything better. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, Jesus had it all, and he says, you know what? I'm not going down there to continue that. I'm going down there on mission. My mission isn't comfort, it's not preference, it's not me, it's them. And just think about this. You know, many people are poor. You know, many people, you know, we don't have the Jeff Bezos options. And so as we look at life, you know, if we were to be given an option, you know, if, if you would like to walk to work every day or drive a brand new car that we'll give you, which one would you choose? Or you know what? You can do the same job and be paid $12,000 a year for that job or be paid $120,000 a year for that job. Which one would you choose? And here's the deal. Many of us don't have that choice. But Jesus chose poverty. Jesus chose to give it all up. Jesus chose to completely empty himself of all of this because it's not about the money and the possessions and the riches and the notoriety. It's about mission. And he even mentioned it in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no man can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he, he finishes with this grand statement, you can't serve both God and money, period. You can't live for money and live for God at the same time. I know these are not parts of the message that everyone screams out, Amen. But these are realities for us and gut checks for us. Now, here's where we're getting at. What is your heart pursuit? Now, neither Jesus nor I are saying you can't have money. What we're saying is money can't have you. That's the deal. Money can't possess you. Your mission and living for God must possess you. Your pursuit can't be for self-service, but it must be for God's service and for others' service. We have to have the mentality of Jesus, and there's no better example. Find me one of someone who had the riches and gave it all up for us. It's not about money, it's about mission. Here's number two, and this is a biggie. Number two, remember the least of these. Remember the least of these. Now I'm going to give you a passage that takes on different significance for us here this morning. Matthew 25, 35 to 40. In light of Jesus now, in light of his situation, in light of his life, in light of his personal economic status just think about these verses now for i was hungry and you gave me something to eat i was thirsty and you gave me something to drink i was a stranger and you invited me and i needed clothes and you clothed me i was sick and you look after me i was in prison and you came to visit me 
Then the righteous. Who? Then the churchgoers. Then the people who knew all the Bible answers said to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needed clothing and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and go to visit you? And then that's when Jesus ends up answering them. The king will reply, Truly, I tell you. And these are the big words of Jesus. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. You did it for me. Remember the least of these. You know, Jesus was surrounded by them. Jesus had a whole crowd of them. Can I just tell you this? Jesus was one of them. Jesus was closer to a peasant than he was a professor. And so, he has a special place in his heart to those who are without. And I don't know if I can, if I can grasp this enough for us. If you struggle to get by, can I talk to you for a moment? If you're even through the camera, if you struggle to get by, if your equipment breaks down, if your clothes aren't the latest and the greatest, if you found yourself in a jam, if it weren't for that anonymous gift or the neighbor lady bringing by some food, then you identify well with the life of Jesus. He truly knows what you feel like. And he tells everyone, he tells the religious, he tells the righteous, he tells the church, wake up, church, come on. For the widow, for the orphan, for those scraping by, the Pharisees' religion was all about ministering to the elites, <clears throat> to the haves and not the have-nots. But Jesus surrounded himself with the least of these. Jesus was a least of these he wept for them and he tells us in our heart to care for them like it's him. And, and I can hear people saying, but Brian, I really don't have that much. Well, listen to this one. <clears throat> this prayer written out. It says, dear Lord, I've been rereading the record of the rich young ruler and his obviously wrong choice. But it's gotten me thinking, no matter how much wealth he had, he could not ride a car, have any surgery, turn on a light bulb, buy penicillin, talk on his cell phone, watch TV, wash dishes in running water, surf the internet, mow a lawn, fly in an airplane, sleep on an inner spring mattress, or cook in a microwave. And I asked myself, if he was rich, then what am I? Friends, we need to remember the least of these, just like Jesus told us to. Here's the third thing. And I leave you with this question. Are 
you rich. I'm not talking finances. Because we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And though he was rich, he became poor. Here's the best four words I could give you all day. Though he was rich, you ready? Yet for your sake. Those are the words, gang. Yet for your sake, he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And so I ask you today, are you rich? Like, I'm not talking money. Are you rich for the reason why Jesus came to earth? Because his mission in coming was not a financial transaction, but a spiritual transaction. And in fact, his final words from the cross were, it is finished. And those actually, ironically, are financial words, meaning the debt is paid. So Jesus paid your debt. In his poverty, he laid it all out and he paid our sin debt completely by his death. You know, the transaction is our unrighteousness became his righteousness. That's this richness. All of our debt was now paid in full and on top of that, all of his righteousness his deity implanted in us by his Holy Spirit. That's the richness that comes. He gave his literal riches up. He left heaven and worship and recognition and came to earth with nothing except this body. And then he even gave that up. When he went to the cross, what a wealth of resources that then he's given to us of his presence, his comfort, his love, his leading, his forgiveness, his acceptance, his righteousness, all of that through his death on the cross for us, through his poverty. My question is, are you rich? Have you embraced what Jesus has done on the cross? Do you live every day in light of that? And Mark 8, 36, Jesus says it better than I can. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their own soul? Are you rich? Do you have Jesus? Do you believe in his rescue mission of why he came to earth? Because you know the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, for your sake, he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich.